You want to tell me what movie that's from? It's one of my very favorites. I heard somebody. Anyone? Oh, you Nazarenes. There's three amigos. Three amigos. Okay, which is a top five movie of mine of all time. You should all not go watch a movie, Nazarenes, of course, but if you were to watch one, Three Amigos would be a great one. Have you ever tried to draw attention to yourself? Uh, I wasn't just wanting to watch some of the movie. There was a point to that. Uh, Maybe you have not tried to draw attention to yourself like Steve Martin was in the movie Three Amigos, but you probably have at some point, because we all have at some point been trying to get people's attention on ourselves. Uh, even if it's been a while, think about a, a child who maybe acts out a little bit in order to get attention from his parents, or I think about uh, maybe a teenager who wants to impress someone, and so maybe you act a little crazier than usual to try to get the attention of that boy or that girl. Uh, some of you uh, look for attention on social media. You post things on Facebook or somewhere like that just to see who will comment or like your posts or tell you, you know what, you are so wise. You have it all figured out. How are we so lucky to live at the same time as you? Uh, Maybe you do something to try to catch the attention of your boss and to impress him because that can come in handy. Uh, maybe you're a husband who has taken the trash out and wants to announce it to the entire house as if that one chore means that you are the glue holding this entire place together. Recognize me, I have done a chore, right? Is that just, just no one here? That's good. At some point in our lives, though, we've all wanted to seek the attention of others, And this has kind of exploded in the last decade or so. Our society has become one where immediate attention is the most important attention. And therefore, since we crave immediate attention, the most dramatic, the most vocal, the loudest, the most outrageous acts or statements, they are the ones who get the most attention. Uh, It's kind of this viral culture that we have now. But the other side of that coin is that we can also be a people who can feel kind of worthless or valueless if we don't get the immediate attention that we think that we deserve. We must be doing something wrong. Uh, You may not know this. The artist Andy Warhol was actually the person who coined the phrase 15 minutes of uh, fame. Uh, His exact quote was that in the future, everyone will be world famous for exactly 15 minutes. Now, with social media being what it is, it actually is not that rare for a person to go, quote unquote, viral and to become famous for their 15 minutes. But the question I have is, what comes after that? Okay, you've gotten the attention that you crave, then what? Uh, This morning, we're starting a new series for the new year called Your Part Matters. It's called Your Part Matters. And we're going to take about a month at the beginning of this new year to explore the important part that every Christian plays in the local church, in our local church. You see, in the church, it's easy to see only certain ministries and certain roles as vitally important. The ones who get to hold the microphones or the ones who are seen on a regular basis, but 
the fact of the matter is, and what I want us to understand over the next month or so, is that God has created everyone with gifts that play a critical role in the lives of God's people here in the church. No matter how old or how young we are, no matter who we are or where we are from, no matter what role we fill within the church, every part matters and every part is important. And so what I want us to discuss during this first week is the question of who gets the glory when we serve. When we do the right things in church, who gets the glory for that? Now, obviously, there's a church answer to this, right? Obviously, the church answer is that God should get all of the glory. That's why we work. That's why we do everything. But we all know that doesn't always turn out to be the case. There's still a part of us, even us in the church, who want to be recognized for what we bring to the table. And that's natural. It's natural to crave a little attention and recognition when you have been working hard, when you've been faithful. I can tell you this. This is how hypocritical I am about this. The most uncomfortable five minutes of my year is always when you guys bring me up to stand in front of you so that you can give me and my family our pastor appreciation gift and you give me a big round of applause for doing the job that you already pay me to do. I absolutely hate it. I am so uncomfortable, but let me tell you something. If you don't do it next year, my feelings are gonna be really hurt. <laughs> as much as I hate it, as, as uncomfortable as I am, and I know it doesn't make sense. I, I, I shouldn't be able to hold both of those feelings, but in me are multitudes, people. I held them both. And I know that I'm not the only one. I know good church people who have gotten their feelings hurt and even left churches because they weren't recognized for the great and faithful work that they had been doing, which is part of the reason why I do think it's important to recognize our workers in the local church, especially our volunteer workers. They deserve to be lifted up and our upcoming and emerging generations, they need to see that this place runs not only on the back of paid staff, but also the hours of dedication from our volunteers as well. But having said that, we do need to make sure that praise and recognition is not why we serve. It cannot be the fuel that pushes us to service or even the fuel that sustains and keeps us there in service. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had quite a bit to say about those who do really good works, but they do them in order to be seen and to be recognized by others. And it probably won't shock you to hear that he wasn't a big fan of the folks who do that. And so I want us to look at Matthew chapter 6 together. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 18. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me while we read God's word together. I'll have it on the screen behind me as well. But Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. And this is what we read. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also uh, forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You may be seated. Jesus covered a lot of ground in those 18 verses in that text. It almost seems that within the life of Christ, there are these moments where he just has this list of things that are really annoying him and really irking him about religious people usually. And there are a few times where he just decides to get it all off his chest. You know, it's like, and another thing, and then you folks, and, and that guy, like he's just getting it all out. But here, Jesus is obviously very bothered by spiritual people who are trying to get attention and recognition for the spiritual things that they do. In the very first verse that we read, he tells us, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by others. Or what? He says, or your heavenly father will not reward you, which really seems like quite a punishment for doing all the right things, but for a wrong reason. Jesus goes on to speak about things like giving to the poor, praying, fasting, anything religious and good and pious that you could possibly do. But he speaks about them in the same way. He says, keep it to yourself. Stop doing it so that other people and in a fashion to where other people can see you. And the reason we know is this, and Jesus implied this, there were religious people during the time of Christ who would make sure that they announced it when they gave to the poor and everyone could see them give. Look at how amazing I am. Let me be righteous at you. Or they would pray very loudly in the public square to make sure that everybody knew just how spiritual and righteous that they truly are. Or they would fast, another good thing, but they would do so and they would disfigure themselves. In other words, they would make themselves look miserable, slap some dirt on themselves and, and really just play up how, how, you know, how hard it is for you to fast as, as faithfully as you always do. So, and he says, listen, all you're doing is trying to make sure that everybody knows for sure that you're fasting. Jesus says, that's not the way to go about doing your spiritual business. 
That's not the what, what that's not what he wants us to do. He says, you know what, when you give to the poor, don't do it for show and don't expect recognition for it. Don't do it. There's a, kind of a genre of TV shows right now that I watch, and so I can't be too critical without being hypocritical. Uh, but there are these shows where uh, celebrities and people who have lots of means and lots of money uh, will uh, like give these lavish gifts to people, um, people who are in need, people in their audience or whatever it is. Uh, there was one right before Christmas. I won't get into names and all that sort of stuff, but it was like an hour of celebrities just lavishing you know, trips to Paris on this family who lost a beloved mom or something like that. I mean, and it's heart-wrenching and it's a feel-good show, but there's also this part of me that says, why do you got to do it on TV, <laughs> you know? Why do you got to have cameras there for you? Why, why wouldn't you just do it? There's a little part of it, it's got to be about them, right? Or, or else they would just do it. He says, even when you pray, do it in private where people aren't hearing you and people aren't just going to say, wow, he must be so spiritual. He says, fast. When you pray and fast, do it without making it obvious. Clean yourself up for crying out loud. Don't make it look like you're so miserable. Fast for the sake of fasting and not for the sake of recognition. Now, Jesus didn't tell them to stop doing what they were doing so they would just stop giving and stop praying and stop fasting. He just wanted them to do it in a way in which the only attention that they were seeking and receiving is from the Lord. Or as Jesus said, my father who sees in secret and not from other people. And yes, there were people who did this in the time of Jesus, but this is not a problem that died out in the first century A.D., this is something that still happens. There are still people who are doing great jobs, even within the church, needed jobs, vital jobs, but they're doing it for the wrong people and for the wrong sets of eyes. That still happens today. And if I had a nickel for every time that someone has made a show of giving to the church, or even worse, expected their giving to be in exchange for some kind of a pull or authority within the church because of their giving, I'd be able to make a really nice showy offering myself if I had a nickel. All right. At times, I'll tell you that I've even been guilty of letting my need to be recognized really derail my own capacity to do ministry. I want to share one story about this. At my previous church uh, in Alabama, which was my very first assignment as a lead pastor, uh, I'm proud to say we did a lot of great work uh, at that church. Uh, this was a church that was small and shrinking, and a lot of people would even say dying. We were able to stabilize it. Uh, we were able to get some, some uh, younger families involved. We were able to put together some good outward ministry opportunities, uh, and God was blessing that ministry, and that's all that should have mattered. Uh, I would tell any pastor in that situation to just focus on how God must be pleased with your work because look at the results. Keep on doing that work and don't worry about anything because you're obviously doing what God has for you to do there. But here's the thing. Man, I wanted people to like me. In fact, I wanted everyone to love me. Uh, since it was my first lead pastor position, and I took that position when I was still in my 20s, and obviously, I, usually I'm one of the youngest adults in a church, which is an interesting dynamic when you're the pastor of that church. So I was a bit self-conscious about 
other people, older people, seeing me as unworthy or as unprepared or just not suited for the position. And so because I was self-conscious about that, I needed to know that people liked me and that people loved me. And let me tell you something, there were people who told me that all the time, who encouraged me on a regular basis. In fact, the vast majority of people were incredibly good to me and to my family, and a vast majority were so appreciative for the hours of work and the sacrifices we made to be there, leading them, trying to turn this church around. But there was one person, all right? It was just one, I'm gonna say, bitter lady named Patsy, all right? And I probably shouldn't have used her name, but it's too late at this point, all right? Patsy thought that she knew everything in the world, everything about life, everything about families, everything about the Bible, everything, anything that you could bring up. Patsy was a self-proclaimed expert and would be happy to give you 30 minutes on the topic, all right? As luck would have it, Patsy was on the church board, which hadn't been a problem at all uh, because despite her being a little obnoxious, she was always really kind to me and she seemed to really like me. And her, every Sunday when she came in, she told me when I first got there, I was going to get two hugs from her every time I saw her, one coming and one going. And she was, she was honest about that. She always told me how great the sermons were before she hugged me and then went out to her car to leave. Uh, but she was on my church board. And uh, she was on the board specifically for my two-year review at that church. In our denomination, when a pastor comes to the church, uh, he has a review two years into his ministry, and they just kind of talk with the board and the district leadership about, okay, is this working? Uh, what are some things to build on? What are some things we need to improve on? What are some things you're good at? What are some things that you need to do better at? And uh, after that first two-year, you usually get uh, four-year reviews after that. If you're doing the math, this is my sixth year in Joplin. Uh, so that means that our upcoming board election this year will haunt my dreams because it's a six-year uh, term we're at here. So I wasn't worried about my review one bit, though. I was so confident because I knew that everyone loved me, and that's what I needed uh, because I hadn't heard anything to the contrary, not one negative word. So even while the district superintendent sat beside me and asked the entire board with me sitting right there, so how are you all feeling about Pastor West's leadership and the job he's done? I was confident. I was so confident. But it was at that moment that Patsy uncovered two years of frustration that she had apparently been bottling up inside of her. The first thing she said, and I'll just let you imagine where it goes from here. Well, actually, first thing she did was slam her hand on the table, and she said, well, I just wish that he would start preaching the word. I was shocked. That was not the end of her comments, but that was just where it started. I certainly did not think that I was perfect, but I'd like to think that I am a reliable source for biblically accurate based preaching. Uh, but this woman was yelling in the presence of our district leader, and the rest of our local church board that I don't preach the word of God. Now, she was the only one. Everyone else in that meeting was clear that she did not speak for them and that they disagreed with her. 
In fact, Patsy was voted down easily. She was the only one who wasn't sure about me moving forward, and I was easily elected to be uh, renewed for another four years at that church, uh, despite her objections. Uh, plus, even after her tirade in this meeting, those who were aware of what happened, they made it a point to constantly affirm me and to tell me how much they appreciated me and loved me and wanted me there. And that should have been enough. That should have been enough to put Patsy from my mind. But you guys know how it is, right? Where you can have the whole world love you, but if this one person doesn't, if one person you know doesn't like you, that's all it takes to derail all of the good news in your life, right? Is anybody else like that? All right, just me. That's cool. I was never, and here's the truth, I was never comfortable and never truly happy and never truly satisfied at that church again. Oh, I still worked hard. I still prepared just the same. I still counseled. I even bent over backwards to help Patsy when she needed it, but nothing felt the same. All of the momentum that I felt we had was just kind of gone. Now, in reality, nothing had changed from the week before my review to the week after. I'm pretty sure her feelings were constant throughout the process and before we got to that meeting. And most people in the church had no clue what even happened. It was a closed meeting. Nothing had to change, but everything changed for me because I was that bothered by what had happened. I thought about this a lot, and this is what I now know to be the God's honest truth. The reason why I never felt satisfied at that church after that point was not because Patsy said something mean or embarrassed me. It actually wasn't Patsy's fault, not even a little bit. The reason why I never felt satisfied or happy at that church or in that ministry again was the fault of one person and one person alone, and that was Reverend Wesley Anderson. It was my fault because I cared so very deeply about what she said and what she and everyone else thought of me. Because I needed everyone to see me and think, wow, what a great pastor we have. He's so great, smart and handsome. How do we get so lucky? That was a joke, all right? <laughs> I didn't realize it until it was too late, but my happiness and my satisfaction in that ministry was tied to everybody at that church recognizing the work I was doing and acknowledging how I was busting my tail for them. I was working for God, but I was also really concerned with working so that people saw what I was doing and that they loved me because of the work that I was doing. So the reason that my review ruined my disposition at that church it wasn't because of Patsy being Patsy. It was because, in part, I was serving the Lord so that everyone would love me. And that is 100% my fault and no one else's. I decided early on when we took the job here in Joplin that my happiness with our ministry was not going to be dependent upon what everyone here thinks of me, even our church board, who I love. Uh, and you know what? It's come in handy a couple of times. It really has. Do I want you guys to like me? Of course I do. Do I want you to think that I preach the best sermon since Jesus himself? Yeah, of course I do. 
Do I want you to feel like you need to go brag to your friends about how great your church and pastor is? Who wouldn't want that? But you know what? I'm going to serve the Lord with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, regardless of what you think now. And regardless of whether you ever tell me, good job, or I appreciate you, or good sermon, or recognize me every October, I've decided that for me to do ministry that glorifies Christ, I have to do ministry for an audience of one, and that is God Almighty. And as far as I'm concerned, to be quite frank, we can all get on board or you can stick your head in the sand and wait until God sends me elsewhere if that ever were to happen. But I want you, of course, I want you to think I'm doing a good job, but I'm at a point now where I'm happy as long as he thinks that I'm doing a good job. I hope we're all on the same page, but he's the one. My father who sees in secret, rewards in secret. So this started out as a sermon introducing this series on how we can all bring something to the table here at our church, how we are all valuable, how every single person in this room has something to contribute, something to add, how every person here can do something to serve the Lord and his church, how there is not one person in this room who has an excuse not to be involved in the light of the church. And all of that is true. All of that is true. But I wanted to start this series with a warning for us because over the next few weeks, if I manage to inspire you to jump headfirst into ministry into, in some new way or to have you start volunteering somewhere that you hadn't before, but if you're doing it so that you can be recognized and so that people will see how amazing and righteous you are, I will have failed you as your pastor. I will have failed you. I want you to find a place to serve. I want you to feel a part of a team. I want you to be proud of the work you do here. I want you to be an indispensable part of who we are, but I don't want you to do it because I asked you to. And I don't want you to do it because there's a need that needs to be filled. Nobody else is gonna do it. I don't want you to do it because you'll make my life easier and I'll appreciate you forever. I don't want you to do it because it'll make your parents proud or your kids proud or your spouse or siblings proud. And I don't want you to do it so that we can see the great work that you're doing. I want you to do it because we are all called to be ministers, whether it's your paid job or not. We are all called to be ministers. I want you to do it because you know God sees you and that God will recognize you and that God will reward you for your faithful service to him. That's why I want you to do it. There's an old saying that, a job well done is its own reward. Have you heard that phrase before? I have a suspicion that it was first uttered by an employer that just didn't want to pay his workers a fair wage. Hey, now, a job well done is its own reward. Why do you need a raise, right? Uh, I think an even wiser saying than that is a job well done may be its own reward, but a steak well done is just a waste of good beef. Is there any amens? Amen. All right. Thank you. Uh, that's not the, the most important saying either. The saying that I would prefer for myself and for our church, for all of you, is that a God well-served is its own reward. As we talk about how we can all serve God through serving his church, I hope that you do get recognized for the work that you do. I sincerely do think it's important to recognize our volunteers and workers because it is you guys that make this place run. It's not me. 
I can do everything in the world, but if you guys aren't on board, it doesn't matter, and I'm going to look bad. So it's not me alone. It's all of us. We need all of us to come together. But if you knew for a fact that not a single person in our church would ever put you on a pedestal, would ever recognize you for what you do, would you still be willing to do it? Would you still do it to the best of your ability? Would you still do it with a cheerful heart? If your primary goal is to impress God and not other people, then you will. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this more. And I want you to find your place. I want you to find a task, find a job, join us. And we'll talk about this more over the coming weeks because we need you. But before you jump in, I want you to make sure you know who you're doing it for. Everything that we do and every act of service around here needs to be done for the one who will one day look at you and God willing say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Christ says, do your checks in secret for the God who sees in secret. Make sure it's his approval that we're chasing after and not mine, the person next to you or anyone else's. Let's serve, but let's serve that he might be glorified and not ourselves. If you will stand with me and let's close in prayer.